In his last day's newsletter, Leonard Ravenhill wrote about a group of tourists who visited a, a picturesque European village. They walked by an old man who was sitting by a fence. Wondering about the history of that particular village, one of the tourists asked him, were any great men born into this village? The old man replied, nope, just babies. Have you ever noticed how people get excited over the expectation or the arrival of a new baby? I saw a Facebook post just this week celebrating the passing of the 12-week point of a pregnancy when a number of women feel it's safe to let people know that a new child is on his or her way. When we see something like this, there are congratulations and encouragements and statements of excitement about wanting this little girl or this little boy to join their family. And then when the child is born, we can't wait to hold this little one. And grown men and grown women all of a sudden revert to baby talk. Even people who have ached over not being able to conceive or have children of their own find the heart and courage to join in the celebration. This sociological observation rises to another level when we add in a biblical perspective that God blesses people groups with future generations that all start with the birth of a baby. In Genesis, God tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. And then we come to this second book of the Bible known as Exodus, where one of the opening statements tells us that the generations of Israelites after Joseph and his brothers had died, quote, were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. That's what it says in Exodus chapter 1, verse 7. I wanted to start with this observation this morning because we're going to look at what happens when a group of people observe a good thing and try to spin that into a bad thing. This is exactly what happens in Exodus chapter 1 when a new king in Egypt feels threatened by the birth of Israelite or Hebrew babies. How do we navigate in the midst of a culture that attempts to flip the script by opposing the very thing the creator of the universe provides as a blessing? And that's what was going on as we walk into the opening of Exodus 1. Welcome back to North River Church. For the past several weeks, we have been working our way through a series of messages called Living in Exile. Each week, we have been mining out nuggets of wisdom that help us to make the most of our current COVID-19 exile from our workplaces and our normal life. These nuggets of wisdom come from examples of people from the Bible who thrived in periods of exile, not just survived them, but who thrived in those times. And today we're looking at something that I'm calling the midwives' tale. Two women who some scholars think had not been able to have children of their own burst onto the scene in the midst of a scenario that is dominated by a government-sponsored endorsement of Hebrew infanticide. Their cunning, quick wit, and grasp on a truth-centered set of core values provides wisdom that guides us still today. Here's the big idea that I want to get across today. When our culture flips the script, knowing the lines that you must not cross will give you the courage to act wisely. There are times in every generation when the culture tries to flip the script and moves away from the core values that God has laid out and that God blesses. 
And you need to know what are the lines that you will not cross if you were to act with courage and wisdom in that time. I'd like to present to you wisdom from the midwives. Here's the first thing that we learn from these two midwives from Exodus chapter 1. Abusive people fear and use the very people that they abuse. In verse 11 of chapter 1 we read, So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithorn and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. God had blessed the family of Joseph and Jacob during Joseph's years of, of exile in Egypt. And Joseph had been one of 12 brothers who was, who was sold into slavery in Egypt. But through the years of trusting God and serving where he was placed, Joseph ended up managing the food stores of the world's largest empire during a massive season of famine. In effect, he became like the prime minister and the secretary of the treasury all in one. And Joseph was invited by Egypt's king to bring his entire family from the land of Canaan down to Egypt where they thrived for a long season. But now a new king was threatened several hundred years later by the growth and strength of Joseph's descendants. First, they exaggerated. They said, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Next, they rationalized. They said, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. Imagine, here's the Pharaoh of Egypt, the king of Egypt, and he has hundreds of thousands of Hebrew people that he's turned into slaves and he's afraid that they will overturn everything and fight against him. And then they went to a third step from exaggeration and rationalization. Then they abused. So the scriptures say, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. Here's this amazing feature. The more that the Egyptians oppressed the Israelites, they came to dread the Israelites. The morbid fear that they had and the guilt that was inside of them was getting twisted all around. Finally, they tried to use them to do their own dirty work. Verse 15 says, The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, When you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if, if it is a girl let her live. Okay, you might be saying right now, why do we need to know about this? This is really dark stuff. If you're thinking this way, that's a good question. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 10 that we actually do need to understand these negative examples sometimes. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 10, 16. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. An older translation puts it this way. It has Jesus saying, be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. In other words, sometimes we need to understand and learn the lessons that come from very negative examples or else we, we are prey to fall into them again at some point later. Sometimes the Bible includes accounts that chronicle abusive behaviors so that we will learn to recognize the signs and avoid the traps we would otherwise walk into unaware. 
In this case, the king wanted to involve these midwives in his sick, genocidal plan by having them be the ones who actually put the little boys of uh, the Israelite nation to death right after they had been born. This was his way of shifting the blame and responsibility to the very people who were being abused. If the king could get them to do the dirty work, he would further trap them in a cycle of abuse that they would never escape. So at great personal risk, these two midwives stopped this plan by drawing a line that they would not cross. That's an important feature for us to recognize that abusive people fear and then try to use the very people that they are abusing. And part of what stops them is when ordinary people draw a line and say there's, say, there's a boundary here, whatever the cost, I will not cross that line. Here's the second piece of wisdom we gain from these Hebrew midwives. Fear God more. Fear God more than anyone else. Fear God more than the king. Verse 17 says, The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Those are important words for us to see and understand. The fear of the Lord is a frequent theme throughout the Bible. When the Bible talks about this, it is not so much talking about trembling or being crippled by fear. Instead, the concept has to do with an appropriate degree of reverence and respect for power and authority. Here are some examples of the way that the Bible uses this concept. They're all from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9.10 picks up on that theme, takes it a little bit farther. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 2, verses 4 and 5, And if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. One more. In chapter 14, Proverbs says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. Who doesn't want to find a fountain of life? And the Bible is telling us that the fear of the Lord is a good thing. Well, how does this apply? While the king tried to use intimidation and power over these two midwives, they respected and revered the purposes of God more than the king's threats. They respected the Lord as the giver of life, the giver of blessings in human form. So they resolved they would defy the king's order. Killing newborn babies was simply a line they would not cross, and so they made up their minds they would defy the king. They would not comply with his order. Their story is recorded here in, and preserved here in Exodus chapter 1. The story that they told the king was that Hebrew wives are not pampered like Egyptian women who are served by their slaves. They are vigorous and they deliver quickly. I actually talked with one of the midwives from our church, a woman named Shelley, and she said, you know, there are differences from culture to culture having to do with the way that women give birth. And this could have been a, a, a very accurate description of what was going on, where the Egyptian women had slaves and servants all around them and weren't used to hard times, but the Israelite Hebrew women were giving birth in the midst of a great amount of sacrifice and difficulty. So it's likely that there was some truth involved here. 
Some people get hung up over whether, over whether God was blessing a lie that they had told. But if you engage in this kind of thinking, it's likely that you will miss the key point that Exodus is making, that the danger was that they defied the king's order. Dr. Roberta Heston has asked this question. What happens if there is no fear of God? She's talking about within a society as a whole. This is her answer. If there is no fear of God, our horizon shrinks and our measurement of right and wrong becomes utilitarian. What's in it for me? What will I gain? Can I get ahead? Will this make a difference? We may even ask, what can I get away with? Or who will know? When, when a society of people ask those kinds of questions, they are trying to find ways to cross over boundaries between right and wrong, boundaries that they are very much aware of, and they're trying to find a way to rationalize their behavior. And these two courageous Hebrew midwives would not cross that line. They would not rationalize and cave in. Abusive people fear and use the people they abuse. Fear God more. Here's the third piece of wisdom that they would give us. God blesses people who fear him more. Verse 17 through 21, if we shorten it a little bit just for time's sake, reads this way. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. So one of the important questions we have to ask is, who were these midwives? Now, there are a handful of theories that the scholars through the ages, through the generations, have come up with. Some scholars hold that these midwives were Jewish women who had not been able to conceive and have families themselves, so they dedicated their lives to the process of helping to birth children. A second theory is that they were not Hebrew midwives after all, but that the same phrase could be read, they were midwives to the Hebrews. In other words, they were Egyptian women who were assigned to help the Hebrew women give birth. There were probably far more than two, for there were a few hundred thousand Israelite people who were in the nation of Egypt at that time, but these may have been the two leading midwives for the whole nation, or at least among those who were assigned to work with Hebrew women. And they were probably the ones who were in charge of, of training and teaching all of the others. This theory has some merit. Why would the king trust Hebrew midwives with his plan? Wouldn't it be doomed from the start? Also, there's no way of us knowing that they were the only midwives given the size of the population. One clue about their identity comes from the names that are recorded here in Scripture. There are two names that are given, Pua and Shifra. The name Pua in Hebrew means splendid, and Shifra in Hebrew means brightness. So these were either their names or more likely they were nicknames that were applied to them by the women for whom they were uh, helping in, in childbirth, the women that they were caring for. These were either Hebrew women or women who became highly revered by the Israelite people. One detail stands out above all else. They feared, the, they feared God more than they feared the king. What a wonderful thing to be known for. 
If you wanted to discover or to renew your fear of the Lord, I'm going to show you how in just a moment. So hold on to that thought. It is possible that these were Egyptian women who realized that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was the true creator God and that they'd seen all the chicanery that had gone on with the ten Egyptian gods that were worshipped. And they had begun to fear and trust the God of the Israelite people more than all others. It is also possible that they were childless Hebrew women until that time, and they went about their work as worship unto God in such a way that when these pregnant women would see them, they would think, oh, I have the splendid midwife, or I have the midwife who brings brightness to life. And those names, those attributes became attached to them right on to our day. Another detail that caused me to lean toward the idea that they were childless Hebrew women is the manner of God's blessings upon them. It says that he gave them families of their own, which implies children. So prior to this time, they had not had children of their own, but afterward, part of the blessing that they saw coming from God was the ability to have their own families grow and have children in their own homes. Here's the point. God blesses those who fear him more than other forces in this world. God blesses those who fear him more than the cultural elites or other people who may try to shift the balance of how we understand truth in our day. And so we come back to that main idea. When our culture flips the script, knowing the lines you must not cross will give you the courage to act wisely and courageously and boldly. So I have a question. Is it time for you to renew your fear of the Lord? We've already seen that the Lord rewards those who put their trust in Him, and I want you to know that the Lord rewards those who put their trust in Jesus with eternal life. When we come to the conviction that we have sinned and we cannot save ourselves, and when we instead believe in the identity and promises of Jesus as God's own Son, and when we receive His gift of eternal life by placing our trust in Him, a whole new life issues forth. God forgives our sins, puts a new spirit and a new heart in you, and he makes you alive and aware of a new relationship with the living God through Jesus and through the presence of his Holy Spirit. If you would like to renew your commitment to the Lord, pray this prayer with me. Let me walk you through it very simply. Lord, your word says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I want to learn to fear you in the right way. I want to live in awe of you. Save me from wandering down the wrong path. Save me from self-destructive ways. Save me from my own inner rebellion. Please, give me a new heart. Please, Give me a new spirit. Thank you for sending Jesus to give his life so that I can fully live in a new and fresh way. Please help me to follow Jesus as the leader of this new way and as my guide and my Savior for life. 
Now, if you've prayed a prayer, something like that, you need to realize that the Spirit of God is going to come to reside with you and in you, and you will have a new relationship with God. You're just at the start of something that is brand new and that needs to be developed. I'd like you to go ahead and click that uh, hand that's being raised on the screen that you're letting people know that you're raising your hand this day in order to identify yourself as one who has either entered for the first time a new relationship with the Lord or that you are renewing your fear and awe of the Lord today. I'd love it if you gave me an email. If you send me an email to paul, P-A-U-L, at northriverchurch.org. I'd love to start a dialogue with you or to set you up with somebody else who can begin to mentor you and take you through some growth steps so that you will get the most out of this new life with a new heart and a new spirit and a new relationship with the living God. And then here's the fourth lesson from these midwives. Trust God with your legacy. Verse 20 starts off this way. So God was kind to the midwives. Have you noticed that the only names mentioned here in this chapter are the names of the two midwives? We never hear the name of the Egyptian king. He's just simply mentioned as the king or as the pharaoh, which is a title for Egyptian kings. And that title belonged to a number of people. Not at the same time, of course, but one after the other. But their names are not repeated and are not carried out in the books of Scripture. In other words, the king who held all the power is mostly forgotten. But Shifra and Pua are remembered forever by those who revere the Scriptures. And one day in the kingdom of heaven, we will meet these heroes of old. You see, the story of Exodus doesn't start with Moses. It actually starts with two women who are so courageous that Moses is born and that Moses becomes the physical redeemer who proclaims how the Lord wants to buy his people out of slavery and bring them into a whole new experience of life. What a wonderful legacy they have. Their names matter more to God than the names of all the powerful Egyptian kings. Their names are splendid and brightness in his sight. You need to know this, that the Lord can be trusted with your legacy too. When you dare to fear him more than all the cultural forces of our day, your name will become splendid and brightness to God every time he calls on you. And so you and I are presented with a choice and we are called to make a decision. Will you choose the path of the powerful king who was afraid of the very people he was abusing? Or will you choose the path that is splendid and brightness before God and trust him with your legacy? When our culture flips the script, knowing the lines that you must not cross will give you the courage, faith, and wisdom to act wisely. I hope you make that decision. And I hope that you'll follow through and begin to grow and enjoy and be blessed. Let me wrap this up with a closing prayer. God, thank you so much for giving us the example of these two faith-filled and courageous women who knew that you, the Creator God, could be trusted far more despite the way it seemed like everything was stacked against them and that they should stand in awe and fear of you more than a king who would threaten them.
Thank you for causing their names to be remembered. And thank you for doing great things through their act of defiance against a principle that was ungodly. Give us the wisdom of knowing how we walk through life and what are those times when we walk in opposition to cultural trends that stand in opposition to your truth. Give us such a grasp on what is right and wrong and true and what your word says that will be guided through it by life, throughout life, and that we will be blessed as a result. Lord, bless those folks who made a decision today to renew their ability to trust you and to fear you or who have entered into that relationship for the first time. And we pray that you will make their experiences filled with brightness and with splendid joy. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for being a part of this particular service. Thank you for being a part of North River Church. We are excited about what God is doing in your life and in our lives together.